Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina Kerrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. You're invited to sign up to my free gift, Three Easy Steps to Weight Loss for Busy Mums. If you'd like some help taking the first steps to weight loss with healthy eating, you can find out more about Dr. Orlina's two-week healthy reboot or chat to me about private coaching. For more information, check out my website, drorlinacott.com. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina Kerrick. I am super excited to be talking to you all about hormones and weight gain. And today I have a really special guest, Lisa Hissock, who is coming to talk to us. So Lisa, please could you just start by introducing yourself to us? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today on your podcast. I am Coach Lisa Hiscock. I um, have my own company called More Than a Body. And I Uh, do a few things with clients. So I'm a certified health and fitness coach. So I have two sides of my business. I do fitness coaching all online. So that's really for clients who have fitness goals and I program fitness programs for them. And then we work together throughout the month all online. And then the other side of my business, I am a certified health coach and I specialize in behavior change. So I have an eight week program that I've developed that is rooted in the science of behavior change. And I work privately with clients online to help them master their health habits, which I know you're all about as well. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. I primarily work with midlifers. So both men and women in that mid midlife, um, maybe they've raised their kids or they're just at the tail end of raising their kiddos. And they're looking to really just reclaim their bodies and their energy for this next half of life. So that's a little bit about me. Fabulous. And it's all about change. And I think this is where people get really stuck because people know so much, but it's just actually making those changes, which seems daunting and scary. So today, weight loss and hormones, do you want to start by giving us a little overview of the hormones that are involved? Uh, Sure, I would be happy to. So like I said, I work primarily with midlifers. 
And that is a season for many of us where we see a lot of hormonal change. So let me start by saying, I know your audience, uh, Dr. Orlina, you work with mainly um, busy, busy moms, right? So they, they may be your demographic, your listener may be a little bit younger than the clients I work with, you know, give or take a few years. And the first thing I would say to your listeners is listen to everything that Dr. Orlina tells you to do, because um, because many of my clients who are at the midlife stage, they come to me and they say, oh, Lisa, I wish I would have taken a little bit better care of myself before I entered this stage of life. Because when hormones start to just change as we get older, it becomes increasingly, I don't really want to say difficult, but more nuanced on how we maintain our energy levels and our health um, than it was maybe even just 10 years ago. So yes, so hormones are changing at this stage in life. And I think it's really important that we take all the, the steps that we can, all the information that you give your listeners before we enter into that stage of life so that we're ready and we're feeling our, our most healthiest self when we enter into that stage. But what happens at, at midlife and those hormones that I primarily talk about with my clients, let me name the five that, that I really zone in on. Cortisol, um, insulin, and I know those are two that you've talked to your listeners about. I would, I would echo everything that you've already said about those. And then ghrelin and leptin, are our hunger hormones, and also melatonin. So those are the five hormones that I primarily talk with my clients about as it relates to weight gain, weight loss, and the behaviors that are going to affect those hormones. And I'd be glad to talk further about any of those that you would like to talk yes, about. Yes, we will dive into all of them. And yes, I agree with you entirely. I think those are the five biggies, I should say. And yes, we... I have got a podcast on insulin and also insulin is quite an in-depth um, subject, I think, to talk about and really to explain it all, I think is really an entire podcast. So we're going to just put insulin to one side and remind everyone how important it is. And I will tell you where to find more information about insulin if you want it. Now, cortisol, I agree, is really, really important too. And one of the things I remind people about cortisol is it's the same hormone as basically the steroid hormones that we give people. And if you know anybody who's on steroid treatment for something like arthritis or asthma, you know what happens to them. Like everybody knows this, that they put on that trunkal obesity and that puffy face. And that's exactly what cortisol is doing. So give us your words of wisdom on cortisol. And also, how are we going to avoid pushing it up? Yes. So cortisol, as everyone knows, is the stress hormone, right? So um, the unique thing about cortisol, or not unique, it happens to all of us. So when, when our body senses a rise in cortisol, here's the cascade of hormonal response to just that one hormone cortisol. So when we're high on cortisol, we are also potentially high on insulin, I know we said we're going to push that to the side and your listeners are going to listen to your other podcasts. But but the interesting thing I want to point out is that we used to think, and by we, I mean the scientists used to think that the only thing that could raise insulin is ingesting sugar, carbohydrates and sugar. We now know that a rise in cortisol, especially if you run high on cortisol chronically, you're chronically stressed out that insulin will also 
come to the party. It raises our blood sugar, high cortisol. So insulin comes into the mix. And from your past podcast, I'm sure your listeners know that if you're trying to control weight and health overall, we do want to minimize insulin in our body. We at least want to stabilize it. So, so that's the first thing. So, so a rise in cortisol will cause a rise in blood sugar, which will then cause a rise in insulin. In addition to that, the hunger hormone ghrelin will rise and the full hormone that tells us we're full and we don't want to eat and suppresses our appetite will drop. So here, not only are we stressed out, but we're hungry we're probably craving some quick energy because also melatonin, the rest hormone, will drop. And so, so biologically, what our bodies are saying is, okay, if you're stressed out right now, then I'm going to send you all the hunger cues and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to rest right now. So I, I'm not going to, you know, it could be nighttime, but it's going to say, well, I'm not ready to rest. What I'm ready to do is eat and snack because I need energy, because I'm hungry, I don't feel full, and I'm not restful. So if but it makes you know, sense, right, do you doesn't see, it? Because, do you see the cycle? Yeah, totally. Because what your body's doing at that time is it's getting ready to do something like fight or run. And if you're going to do either fighting or running, then you need energy. So your body's yeah. giving, it's making sure you've got glucose for your muscles. And you're like, well, okay, it's action stations. And that's where, where your body is going. Your body's going to action stations rather than everything's calm and lovely. <laughs> and this is what breaks my heart sometimes when I'm working with my clients, when they first start working with me, because they come to me and they say, Lisa, I just don't have any willpower. I don't know what's wrong with me. And they're beating themselves up saying, um, I, I know what to do. I just don't do it. And that's what I specialize in, right? Is behavior change. My clients are at a, a stage in life. They're midlifers where they know what to do. They don't need another expert to tell them eat this or don't eat this or exercise like this or don't do this. They, they know and they are frustrated because they feel like they have lack of willpower. And I say, no, 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 no. It is, it is a biological response. Our bodies are trying to survive. Our bodies are so incredibly made and so intelligent that they will send us, they will, they will create hormones that send us certain signals to allow us to survive. And you're exactly right. When we're chronically stressed out, our hormones don't know if we're being chased by a tiger or if we just have a deadline at work. They don't know. And we're going to get the same signals. Send down food, send down carbohydrates, send down sugar, because that's what's going to be quick energy to help me survive in this situation. And I get so passionate about it. You can probably hear it in my voice because it really does break my heart that there's so many people walking around thinking, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Shame on me. I don't have willpower. When it's really their hormones that are that need to get back in balance, which we can lead into some suggestions I have about that if you'd like Fabulous. to. So the problem is they're just human beings and they just have human bodies. That's really the issue, isn't it? That we have these amazing machines, but they have certain programs. So how can we reprogram ourselves? And I think that's the big thing to not live in this constant state of action and to live in this constant state of our cortisol levels being super high. Right. So, you know, most people would think of stress reducing practices like meditation or prayer or journaling or gratitude or 
Um, we were talking real briefly before we, we went live about taking baths, maybe Epsom salts baths to kind of calm, you know, calm down your system. And there's many practices like that, taking walks, going out in nature, um, you know, so many different ways to bring down that cortisol, which are all very important. I think everyone should choose one or two that they really enjoy and practice it daily. It doesn't have to be an hour, but just time to do whatever that is that you know allows you to breathe and just just be in your own thoughts, um, not in a stressful way, but just to, you know, just breathe and be be on your own for a few minutes. But in addition to that, to having a stress-reducing practice that you love and, re- and, and enjoy, I get very practical with my clients. I think so often um, many of us have stressors in our life that we dance around and we sometimes push under the rug. And, and so it just sits under the surface all day, every day, and we just live with it. And I think those are the stressors that are very concerning to our overall health. Um, Not only because of hunger hormones and some of the things we've already talked about, but just for um, inflammation in our body, just having that chronic underlying stressor. Um, And so I get pretty tactical and pretty practical with my clients. And I have a strategy. Can I um, ask you to give us an example of one of these and I'm totally with you and I can totally see what you're talking about, but I'd just like it to be illustrated so other people can see what you're talking about. What kind of thoughts and like chronic stresses are you talking about? Sure. So I'll just give some examples from recent clients. So um, one of my clients, her her children are just overscheduled. Yeah, and, and stop. <laughs> And yeah, um, just her children stress her out. My, it's funny because my clients, I'll say, well, what, you know, what stresses you out? And they'll say work or kids. And I'll say, okay, we need to get more specific, <laughs> right? We can't get rid of our kids and we can't give up work, most of us. So, so we have to get specific. So I got specific with this client and she said, you know what, what it really boils down to is they're overscheduled. And so um, we're constantly on the go. We don't have time to breathe from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. And that's just how we've built our life the last few years. And she admitted, she said, I, I, I don't know how it happened. Just one thing led to another and then another. And before we know it, it's just, it's one big calendar event that we're just trying to keep up with. And she said, I don't want to live like this because every morning I wake up on high alert. When I wake up in the morning, I'm already on high alert and I haven't even open my eyes yet and I can feel the stress rising. So it's that kind of um, stress that, you know, it it takes a strategy then. Um, Some other examples, uh, I mean, I some silly ones. I have a client that says my, um, he he lives in Atlanta, Georgia here in, in the States. And if anybody's ever been to Atlanta, Georgia, you know, the traffic is horrible. And he says that the traffic, I get in my car every morning and my knuckles are just white on the steering wheel because I know what's ahead for the next hour. So it's his commute that stresses him out. So again, we can't quit your job, but we have to come up with a strategy. So there's a few examples of just a stressor that could just underpin your day. And so is that enough or do you want me to yeah, give you no, that's more? Good. And I think as well, the other thing is it's different for everybody. And you might be in a similar situation. For example, you know, you might be 
with your partner and different things will stress out different people. And it's about this self-awareness and understanding and getting to that understanding of what stresses you out. I think that's really the key to it. Yes. And that's, that's a perfectly done because that's the strategy that I use with my clients. So I have them, I have a strategy that I call eat your stress and I don't mean to eat it because a lot of my clients say, well, Lisa, when I'm stressed, I eat, you know, such and such food. So we're going to re we're going to redefine what eating stress means. And eat is an acronym that stands for eliminate, accept, or tackle. So you just said it, Orlena. The first thing is to identify those things that chronically stress you out that you know you could you probably need to take take a hard look at. And so you you take a look at those things and you say, okay, is this something that I can eliminate? Am I stressed about this? But is this something that somebody else can do? And because I've been doing it for years, doesn't mean I have to continue to do it. So there might be some things that stress you out that you can eliminate. For example, I had a um, client who said, that every weekend she has to do all of her housekeeping and clean up. I think she has four kids and a husband and she works outside the home and her weekend, instead of being with her family and doing things that she enjoys, she's, she's housekeeping. And she said, you know what? I have the means I can hire somebody to, to do that. So that was an example of eliminate. She just never thought of it. The, the A stands for accept. So there are some things such as the traffic example, the commute to work example, that that we just have to accept. And research does show that just the acceptance of, of an event like that can bring down cortisol levels. When you just say, this, this, this is my life right now, and I need to accept it. I can't fight against it. I'm just going to accept it. So there's certainly some things that you could identify that you just need to say, yes, this is this is it right now. But then the T stands for tackle. So those are some things such as the overscheduling of our children's schedule, perhaps, that you can take a good hard look at and say, how do we rearrange this? Let's tackle this. Let's. And perhaps um, I had an example a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of my clients said that her her teenager was, you know, turning into a teenager. <laughs> and that was that was stressing her out. And she just was dancing around it. And she said, you know what? I just need to sit down with her and we just need to have a heart to heart. I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring it and I can't ignore it anymore. So that's an example of how you might tackle that stress. So you either eliminate it, you accept it, or you tackle it. And that will help greatly with cortisol levels in addition to having some kind of stress reducing practice as we talked earlier. Fabulous. I love it. Eat. What was it? Avoid? No, but my brain is not working. Um, it's too late. Here. Eliminate. <laughs> eliminate. <yeah. laughs> eliminate, accept or tackle. Eliminate, accept or tackle. And it reminds me of the accept one really reminds me of Byron Katie. And if you haven't read Byron Katie to the general readers, I'm sure you have. But she talks about this idea of not accepting what is and basically saying, if you don't accept what is, you are just fighting reality and you can spend an awful lot of energy fighting reality, but it isn't going to change reality. And so I totally love that. And then I guess as well, thinking about your example of the the driver, how can you make that into a more pleasurable experience? Like listening to podcasts, for example. Yes, for example. (laughs) Yes, using some other ways of, you know, making it more fun. Okay, so that's fabulous. So that's cortisol. You combine the thinking about that underground stress with other techniques, other stress relieving techniques. 
Shall we move on to the hunger hormones and the growling, as I like to call it? Do you yes. tell us a little bit about ghrelin? Yeah, so ghrelin is our um, appetite-seducing um, hormone, right? Ghrelin says, hey, we're hungry. We need some food. Send some food down. It's actually that hormone is initiated in our in our stomach, and so it initiates appetite. And leptin, I always say, is its cousin. It's the satiating hormone. It's the full hormone, and it, it tells us that we are full. And so, like you know, in... Yes, in the perfect world, that seesaw would be, you know, balanced. We would have a, we would have the hormones in the right amount at the right time to help us survive. That's, that's a, that's a blanket statement for all hormones. Like all hormones, even cortisol, you know, cortisol we, we, we treat as a, a bad hormone sometimes. No, we need it in the right amounts at the right time in order to survive. Same thing with our hunger hormones. So, you know, the, the, I think the two, um, behavioral, um, well, three really, but there's, there's a few behavioral choices that we make that greatly affect our hunger hormone. The first one is sleep. I am a big supporter of sleep. I love sleep myself. I think everyone really needs to prioritize sleep because if we are sleep deprived, that actually is seen as stress in our body. So the same hormonal landscape that we have if we're chronically stressed, sleep deprivation will cause that. And so we're going to be hungry. Ghrelin will kick in and leptin will um, be reduced. And, you know, we're just not only are we going to be sleepy and our mood is going to be compromised, we may be a little cranky, we will then be hungry, biologically hungry. And it's going to be very hard for us to, you know, quote unquote, stick to the plan. If we said, okay, tomorrow is Monday, I'm going to eat like this, and I'm not going to eat this, and I'm going to exercise and go to the gym, whatever we said we were going to do with all the best intentions, if we are sleep deprived, it's going to be really hard to, to live up to those um, promises to ourselves the next day because of the hormonal response, ghrelin and leptin being two of those. So sleep is one way to really control those hormones. The other things that control ghrelin and leptin are our, our, um, our eating patterns, right? If we are feeding our body sugar or carbohydrates constantly, I'm not talking about, you know, never having them. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're in a pattern of having maybe a breakfast with higher carbohydrates and a lunch with higher carbohydrates and a dinner with higher car carbohydrates, then that affects our hunger hormones. So it's going to, um, you know, it's going to kick up that same craving a couple hours later when leptin reduces and ghrelin increases. Now, things that can help satiate and, and bring that leptin hormone up are things like protein and healthy fats, right? So, which I'm sure I know that you've talked about. So having some good monounsaturated fats and um, even some of the polyunsaturated, you know, good omegas and fish and salmon and olive oil and avocados and nuts and seeds and all of those healthy fats, very satiating. It's going to turn up leptin and turn down ghrelin. Same thing with protein, right? Protein is a very satiating macronutrient. It's going to turn up leptin, turn down ghrelin. Um, so, so just food wise, macronutrient wise, um, that's how we want to help control those, um, those hormones, those hunger hormones. And then finally, I would say, which we've already talked about is, um, well, two things. I would say stress levels, controlling stress levels will help regulate those hormones, but also the right kind of exercise will help 
um, control those hormones. So, you know, sometimes people, when they think about weight loss, they think, oh, I need to balance calories in and calories out. So let me join the gym and start going on the cardio machine and really getting in a lot of minutes and sweating a lot. Well, exercise is great for so many reasons, but sometimes when we overdo it, we overtrain in the name of weight loss, it can backfire in that it will turn up ghrelin, that hunger hormone. It makes sense, right? If we're, if we're exercising and we're really going hard on, say, the treadmill or the bike or the elliptical machine, or and we're doing this over and over again in the name of weight loss, perhaps underfeeding ourselves in the name of weight loss, that's where that balance that you spoke about earlier gets out of balance. And then ghrelin, that hunger hormone, is really going to scream hard at us. And so we may be exercising more, but we also may be eating more because we can't ignore ghrelin. So that's a little bit of how I talk about leptin and ghrelin. Do you have other questions or other no, things that your I listeners think that's very might true. And I totally know. agree with you on the exercise front. And I always say exercise helps you feel fit and fabulous. But really, if you want to look at weight loss, it's all about the nutrition. It's like 80% about the nutrition. And you really need to yeah. sort out your nutrition first. And I definitely noticed that after I've been swimming, done a, you know an hour's swimming training, I feel hungry. But then I think that's fine because I've just done an hour's training. So if I eat a little bit more, then that's perfectly fine. But what you don't want to be doing is doing that if you're trying to lose weight and then, you know, eating the wrong types of foods, because then you're going to end up eating too much of the wrong types of foods. Yes. I'll tell you, can I just tell you my own personal experience yes, real of course. briefly with that? So I used to be a marathoner and ultra marathoner. So I was a distance runner for over a decade. And, um, and so I experienced that very thing. And this was before I really knew about ghrelin and leptin. So I would run really long distances, uh, and, and I wouldn't have an appetite right after my run. I think my body was just trying to survive and just kind of shut everything down. But later that day I would have intense cravings. I'm talking intense for primarily carbohydrates because now I know my body was trying to refuel those glycogen stores in my muscles and in my liver that I had used up in those long endurance training. But it was everything I could do to try to drum up willpower before I knew better to, to resist those cravings. I mean, I would crave things that I normally wouldn't eat ice cream and pizza and you know, things that were not part of my normal diet on the days that I went really long on my runs, it was very hard for me to resist those because biologically ghrelin was just screaming at me. And, and it took me a while before I knew better. And I beat myself up about it sometimes thinking, well, that's just shame on me. That's just willpower. That's just, it, it's, it's not, I was, it was that's biologically, my yeah. body was hungry. I always say to people, it's really difficult, you know, you can't burn enough calories really to um, make a big difference. Unless, of course, you're a marathon runner. And then when you are a marathon runner, you are burning so many calories because the training that you do is so much that actually you do need to eat more to compensate for it. And then the danger is when you stop marathon running and you're used to all of that food, that's when the danger is. Because when you're like doing 40 kilometers a week, then you can eat all of those foods and it's not going to show on your body. It's just going to get used up on the next time you go running. 
It is, but the problem I was running into is my body was craving foods that weren't just inherently healthy. So I think I think you're exactly right. I needed more calories for sure, um, uh, but I wasn't craving those healthy calories. I wasn't craving all the nuts and the seeds and the avocados and you know good sources of protein. No, like, because your body was saying, "I want it quickly. I want that glucose yes. quickly." And your body knows that the way to get those glucose quickly is to have the refined carbohydrates and those things that will give you that quick glucose rush. So whether you're a marathoner or not, I would, I would say to just, I would caution any listener. um, And, and you, you agree with this. It sounds like not to exercise in the name of weight loss, exercise in the name of health, exercise in the name of bone strength and muscle strength and mobility and flexibility. Yes, absolutely. Um, And feeling fit and fabulous. And I think it really is the key to feeling amazing because it does, um, it does help with all of those things and it helps you feel flexible and mobile and it helps you feel like you have that confidence to move, particularly as you get older. And, you know, I always think about when we're young and we have like, the strength of youth and we can do anything we can jump we can leap and as we get older we notice that our bodies stop doing that and we need to be able to maintain you know flexibility and muscle strength and so that's where exercise actually I think personally I'm more fit than I have ever been when I was younger I didn't really do much exercise I was just you know I I did I could run and do all of those things but I didn't do it in a structured routine way I played yes. football at university. It was just a huge excuse to go out and party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our youth. I remember my youth, yes. But it's totally different now. And now I do feel fabulous and fit. And it's because I exercise. But I find the exercise that I enjoy and it makes me feel wonderful. And when I'm feeling tired and uh, I'm like, oh, I have to go and do some exercise because it will give me that energy and help me feel amazing. Yes, I have to say the same. I feel healthier and more fit now that I'm I'm not uh, ultra marathoning anymore, but I exercise regularly in a very specific way. And I am I feel healthier. I have way more energy. Um, and uh, hormonally, I am healthier. So again, without going into all the details of my story, that decade of of intense exercise really took a toll on me hormonally. I know we're talking about the five hormones we mentioned earlier, but there's also hormones that that are at play in terms of your sex hormones, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, in addition to thyroid, in addition to vitamin D. So those are some others that I would say that I think every man and woman at a certain age need to be have a baseline for those other hormones. But I'll just tell you, um, I, I kind of shot myself in the foot with that decade of intense exercise in that um, looking back now, I know that I was so chronically high on cortisol because of that intense exercise, doing that for year after year, that I downregulated some of those other important hormones that have to do with weight control and weight management, not only just overall health, but weight control and weight management. And, uh, and so it's all about balance with exercise, with eating, with stress levels, you know, it's all about being cognizant of the hormonal response to these choices and, and just, you know, uh, balancing those out. Absolutely. Let's move on and 
talk about sleep. Sleep is one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. No, well, it's so super important. And I think it's really, really interesting, actually. When I was at medical school, we understood that sleep was important. But now we understand far more of why sleep is important. And the research that has been done on sleep is absolutely fascinating. Tell us all about sleep and melatonin. Yes. So um, melatonin is our sleep hormone, right? So ideally, we want it to be really, really high when we go to bed and low when we wake up. That's how our bodies are designed. So um, in the perfect world, that's what would happen with that hormone melatonin. But there's certain things that we can do primarily at night that um, that that keep melatonin running, um, running low and not able to rise. So if we all lived in the woods and our only light was the sunlight, that's how melatonin would work. It would naturally rise when the sun went down. It would get us ready for bed. But we don't live in that world. Many, I'm sure your listeners don't live in the middle of the forest. Um, and so we have a lot of artificial light. So that's the first thing I would tell your listeners is to pay attention to all the artificial light that you have in your, um, you know, in your home or wherever you're at after the sun goes down. And of course, all of us, we have lights in our house. We, you know, now here in the States, I mean, we've lost our daylight savings time just a few weeks ago. So it's dark at 4.30 p.m. here. The sun is going down. Well, I still have a whole lot to do between 4.30 and bedtime. So of course, we're going to have artificial lights. But just know that that artificial light will keep melatonin low at, at night and we want it to rise. And so any steps you can take to minimize that would greatly help that hormone to upregulate and get you ready for bed. So, you know, there's some crazy things you can do. You can buy some red uh, light bulbs for your house and put those in your house if you really wanted to go all in. Um, my husband and I both have blue blocking glasses. So um, artificial light, I'm sure some of your listeners know this, artificial light gives off a blue tint. So, you know, if you have your TV on or just maybe lights in your house, there's a blue tint that comes from them. And what research shows is that blue light directly impacts melatonin. Um, like I said earlier, so you can buy some blue blocking glasses. They're not the sexiest of glasses, but my husband and I have them. And so if we know that we have to, you know, stay up late and get some things done, we're going to put those glasses on to minimize that blue light hitting our, our retinas in our eyes. And, um, and then it'll help our melatonin production. Um, the iPhone is very smart and, and maybe other, um, uh, non-iOS devices are smart. I have an iPhone. I don't know about you or the other devices, but the iPhone, iPad, things like that, they're smart enough. They know this research. So they have the, what is it called? The nightshade? Yeah, night like it's nighttime viewing or something. Nighttime viewing. So if you change your iPhone to the night shift night or nighttime mode, viewing, it, is. Yeah. it will it take, should, you'll notice you it'll up, turn. It should oh. do it automatically. So my, my phone, I noticed like, it's dark here. And now it has this kind of like, if I look at it, it's slightly orange. And that's because it's, um, it's gone to nighttime mode. So you only have to set it up once and it will automatically do it for you. Yes. So I would say if, if your listeners aren't doing that, that's the first thing to do. Turn on that night shift. So controlling um, the light, 
um, to help that melatonin um, production is really, really important. I would say to get um, uh, curtains that are light blocking, you know, um, darkening room, darkening curtains for your room. We've replaced all of our curtains in our bedrooms to that. Um, so if you have like you know, street lights outside, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And, and not just any curtain will do. So they make certain um, room darkening curtains that really take all the light out. Even if you don't have a street light outside, um, just having those will completely blacken your room and that will help with your melatonin production. Or move, um, to, move to Europe where we all have shutters. Oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> we don't have shutters here. Some of us do, but not all of us. As and long the other as thing I was going to mention is you can actually, if you're, we happen to be just about to redo our house. If you're about to redo your house, you can put in clever light systems where they change the different kinds of light. Obviously, it's quite a, you know, undertaking to rewire your whole house to do that. But there are special light systems. I will let you know. Come back in a year's time. I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, good. That's, a, that's so exciting. Yeah, but the light, you know, research has been shown that the light as small as a pin light behind your kneecap as you're sleeping can disrupt sleep and oh, disrupt melatonin production. So so it doesn't take a lot of light to disrupt sleep. So look around your room. If you have light emitting devices anywhere, um, like my husband and I, so he's going to kill me for saying this in public, but... Um, he wanted a TV in the room. I oppose a TV in the room very adamantly, but however, for the sake of our marriage, I let him bring a TV into the room, but we have taken electrical tape and we have covered up, you know, sometimes some TVs, when you turn them off, they still have a light on them. Yeah. Ours does. So we've taken black electrical tape and covered all of that up. We've covered up any light that comes off of the cable box. So there is no light in our bedroom. When the lights go off, there is zero light. It's 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 dark as if we were in the forest. Um, so so look for that in your bedroom and try to emit that light. So that's that's the first thing I would say. Any any more thoughts or questions on that? Or no, only that the, the reverse is true as well. So that when you get up in the morning, you want to go for a nice walk and and see the sun and tell your body, hey, it's morning time. Yeah. So I always say, you know, actually, a really good way to start your day, if you can, is to walk, because obviously, it gives you the exercise, but also, it does lots of things like give you vitamin D, if you're in a sunny place, but it just also resets your melatonin levels. Yes, yes, absolutely. The opposite is true, for sure. Yep. Um, other sleep tips, let's see. So besides the light, obviously limiting caffeine. Um, some of us metabolize caffeine differently than others. So you have to know your own caffeine tolerance. You know, there's some people that swear they can have caffeine right up until bedtime and it won't um, disturb their sleep. So they must be fast metabolizers. I myself uh, metabolize caffeine very slowly. And so if I had anything after 12 noon, that would probably disrupt, disrupt my sleep. So you have to be careful about caffeine levels. Um, let's see, light. Oh, and the temperature. That was the other thing. So the temperature of your room will, um, will help you have a good restful night's sleep. So definitely making sure it's nice and cool. Um, I think I did a blog blog post on that a little while ago. The optimal temperature um, is somewhere between, if I can remember, it sounds pretty chilly, but somewhere between like 59 and 72, some, your room temperature. I have temperature. no idea what that is because we don't use Fahrenheit. I think in, in um, 
Oh, yes. In metric. I think it's like 19 degrees, but I will check that. But yeah, it, yes. is, it is quite cool. Yes. And so that's something that can help you get a good night's sleep and affect your melatonin levels. So, And, and we were talking about magnesium as well. Oh, yes. So that's a mineral that you know, we all have and we all need. And most of us are deficient in magnesium. That's probably a safe bet. And so earlier we mentioned the Epsom salt bath. That's the most pure way to, and a bath for many people can calm you down and help you get rested for, you know, for bedtime. So taking an Epsom salt bath will give you that magnesium and magnesium has been shown to be a very calming, restful, um, mineral. Not only that, it'll help relieve any sore muscles, you know, cause if we're sore from maybe a hard day's work or just our back is sore from sitting at a computer all day, our neck is sore. Magnesium can help calm down those muscles, which can help with a restful night's sleep. So magnesium, um, again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I would say it's, it's one of those minerals that are pretty safe for everybody. Always check with your doctor before you start supplementation, but that's a mineral that I think all of us could benefit from. And the other thing about taking a bath as well is that your body needs to cool down before it goes to sleep. And mm -hmm. actually, if you take a bath, I know it feels like you're heating yourself up, but as you get out of the bath, um, your body cools down. So when you're at that stage where you're feeling nice and hot, what your body is doing is cooling itself down because you've been in the hot water and that cooling can help you fall asleep as well. Yes. Fabulous. So those are my sleep tips. I love sleep just like you. So dark room, nice and cool room, perhaps some magnesium to help you calm down and then minimizing the lights after sundown and especially those blue lights. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We have covered so many things. It's been quite a, um, informative or very informative. Do you have any last words of wisdom for us? Uh, I think it relates back to what I said earlier that, you know, if, if, if you're a listener that feels like, you know, I've been listening to Dr. Alina's podcast and I believe everything she says and I really want to do these things, but they, they feel like they just don't have any self-discipline or the willpower and they, they keep beating themselves up. Why can't I stick to anything? I would, I would really listen to this podcast once over again and ask yourself how you're doing at um, helping control those hormones that we talked about and stop blaming yourself and start to work with your body instead of against your body. And um, I, I guarantee if you can regulate your hormones and get your hormones to a, to not a perfect place, but a more balanced, healthy, happy place, then your, your behavior will follow. And you and I both agree that it's your behavior and your habits then that lead to a more healthful life. But you got to back all the way up and look at how your hormones support your behavior. So that's what I would leave them with. Stop beating themselves up and, and just pay attention to those, those hormones and work to get those in balance. It's all about the hormones. Fabulous. Lisa, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. Oh, thank you for asking. So my website is morethanabody.com, just like it sounds. And then you can find me on Instagram at Lisa Hiscock, H-I-S-S-C-O-C-K. Those are the two places you can find most about me. Fabulous. Thank you once again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
you for listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina. If you enjoyed it, I would love it if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for my free gift, Free Easy Steps to Weight Loss for Busy Mums, or find out more about my reboot and coaching at drorlina.com. D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. Until next time, bye-bye.